The sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Thanks so much, Lily. I'll pray, and then we'll have a closer look at that passage. We'll be touching on other bits and pieces in the Bible, uh, but mostly focusing on that passage today as we touch on the topic, as mentioned earlier, on Christ being at the centre of everything. Let me pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the immense privilege it is to have your word and to be able to explore it, and maybe more importantly, for it to explore us and to reveal where we're at when it comes to you. May your word arrest our hearts and our minds such that we might come to know you and adore you as we should in and through Jesus, our Lord and Saviour, in whose name we pray this. Amen. In Douglas Adams' uh, classic science fiction comedy, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, uh, a group of superintelligent pan-dimensional beings demand to learn the answer to the ultimate question of life, the universe and everything from a computer, a supercomputer called Deep Thought, uh, which they built specifically for this purpose. It takes Deep Thought seven and a half million years to come up with the answer. And the answer, it turns out, is 42. The number 42. Uh, Deep Thought points out that this might seem meaningless as the answer without the question, but Uh, it wasn't asked to come up with the ultimate question. So, Deep Thought agrees to make an even more powerful computer to figure out the ultimate question. And that computer ends up being Earth. The purpose of Earth, then, in this uh, story, in this novel, is to compute the ultimate question, which, in the course of the story... Uh, gets just shy of the 10 million years needed to arrive at the ultimate question, but five minutes before completion, the Earth is destroyed by some nasty aliens making way for a new hyperspace bypass. It's a tragic comedy. But even though uh, Douglas Adams came up with this, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, in the late 1970s, uh, he captured something, I think, of our culture's mindset that is still lingering to this day. And it's in that the search for the meaning of life, uh, the answer to that is just so fraught and complex and seem to be too hard, and so the better way forward, or the better thing, is actually the question. It's better to live in the present, not knowing, but open to knowing. It's, it's better to be the humble agnostic, to live in the question which will avoid all that awkward and onerous dogmatism that comes with the answer. Uh, To live in the question, it's to be open, not closed. It's to be humble, not doctrinaire. Uh, To question is accepting and inviting. It's an open door. To land on an answer, 
Well, that's to shut the door. The question, but the question, well, it's a, it's a journey, a story, a mystery. And let's face it, we love a story. We love a mystery. But what if the question and the answer to life, the universe and everything is found in the same place? And not in some fictional comedy come tragedy, like the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, but in historical tragedy come comedy. Wouldn't that be marvellous? Because the Bible more than hints at this in the person of Christ Jesus. And nowhere more clearly than the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Colossian Christians at the time. These young Christians are being tempted to look for the mystery of life, uh, the universe and everything, uh, in something other than Christ. And so very early on in the letter, Paul unpacks a bit of who Christ is. And it's stunning. I mean, we've read it a couple of times already, but we're going to slow down on the details. And it's a few more than uh, three things, which is my usual standard in a Bible talk. And so it might seem daunting, but the accumulative effect of these things about Christ, they can be pretty moving. So first we'll look at how Christ is the image of God. Second, how he's the firstborn over all creation. Third, how he's the mediator of creation. Fourth, how he's the goal of creation. Fifth, how he keeps everything together. Sixth, how he's the head of the new creation. And finally, as God and man, he's supremely at the centre of absolutely everything. So firstly, Christ is the image of the invisible God. That's what the Apostle Paul says there in verse 15. I'm sure many have heard this phrase before, the image of God, and how everyone is made in the image of God. That comes from the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis. In fact, this whole idea underpins uh, that every human life, this idea in our society that every human life is valuable and precious. I read an interesting article the other day referencing a bunch of atheist and agnostic intellectuals and how these guys oddly champion Christianity because they see the good Christianity has brought to Western society. Uh, One such person, Douglas Murray, uh, is noted as believing that Christianity is essential because secularists have been thus far totally incapable of creating an ethic of equality that matches the concept that all human beings are created in the image of God. A big part of what it means to be human is that we're all equal and valuable precisely because we're made in the image of God. And yet Paul tells us here, Christ is the image of the invisible God. Now, an image is basically something that looks like or represents something of someone else. In many places still around the world, uh, in temples and other places of worship, there is an idol or many idols, some image representing the God or gods in question. Well, in the same way, when the only true God made his temple, the universe uh, and the earth, he, he put his image in it to represent him. Except unlike any other image or idol, his image is living. People are his image in the world, and as such they're meant to represent him. But aside from the fact that the vast majority of them, they don't care about him or for him, no one actually can properly represent him. 
because we're all sinners. And what sin does is breaks the image of God. It doesn't destroy it. it it's still there. It's like a, a broken mirror. You can still see something of the image. It's just distorted and disturbing. But Christ had no sin. And so as God the Son comes the man Jesus, the image of God in Christ is perfect. More than that, he's not just the best image of God in the world. He's the image which every other human being is created according to or in. So to be human then is to be made in the image of Christ. Christ is at the centre of what it means to be human. That's the first thing. The second thing is uh, we're told Christ is the firstborn over all creation, which sounds like Christ was created. Uh, But if you believe that, you'd be a heretic, Uh, like Arius, a uh, church father from the uh, 4th century, uh, 4th century, sorry, who took it to mean that, uh, that Christ was created. He was roundly condemned by the broader church, who in response they put together the very orthodox Nicene Creed. The Nicene Creed affirms what the Bible says of Christ, uh, saying Christ is the only Son of God, Begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father. So here in Colossians, when Paul says Christ is the firstborn over all creation, the emphasis is on the the firstborn bit, the firstborn in the sense of being supreme. In the ancient Near East, and uh, still in some places around the world, It's the firstborn that gets the father's estate, the firstborn son. They're supreme in their rights to it. And that seems to be the sense of being the firstborn here. As the firstborn, as the son of the father, Christ is supreme over all creation. There is no one to rival his claim, as Paul says, because, verse 16, For in him all things were created, Things on in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, everyone and everything else was created with reference to Christ. They're created in him. He's the measure of all other forces, all other spiritual, political, religious powers or rulers or authorities. Their existence and their power is contingent on Christ. Not the other way around. The entire angelic realm, for instance, is like a butterfly in Christ's hand. He is supreme. Christ is the firstborn over all creation. So Christ is at the centre of what it means to be human, and as the firstborn son, he's supreme over all creation. Which brings us to the third thing. Christ mediates all creation. Paul says there in verse 16 again, all things have been created through him. In John's Gospel, we're told something similar, except Christ is called the Word. And we're told there, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. In the beginning, God created all things through Christ, his word. Christ mediates creation. He's the one through whom God creates. Uh, Some might 
see a link to Christ in the Old Testament here where God's wisdom is personified and, and saying, I was appointed from eternity, from the beginning, before the world began. I was there when he set the heavens in place. I was the craftsman at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world and delighting in humankind. As God's word and as God's wisdom in the beginning, Christ is the key to all creation. He's the means of its very existence. So Christ is at the centre of what it means to be human. He's supreme over all creation. And he's the mediator. He's the means of creation's existence. And fourthly, he's the goal of all of creation. Uh, Verse 16, again, all things were created through him and for him. Christ, not only does Christ stand at the beginning of life, the universe and everything, he stands at the end of it. As its goal, the universe and everything and everyone in it is a stage for Christ to be revealed and applauded. The whole point of the universe, the whole point of the universe and life and everything is Christ. The end of the story is Christ. In a lot of video games, there's a big story that carries the game along. In the great game, the first Spider-Man game, uh, the whole story is heading to a final confrontation with Dr. Octavius uh, to recover an antidote to a lethal bioweapon that's threatening the lives of all in the city. That's the big story. But there's a bunch of side stories and plots that and tasks that you can spend your time playing at that aren't essential to the big story, but they're all still inevitably connected to it. And in a lot of ways, they don't make sense without the goal of the game, without the big story. And a bit like this, while life might often feel like we're each on our own journey, our own story, and at the end of the day, the goal of all our stories, though, the goal of the entire project of creation that we're weaved into, we're all weaved into it, whether we know it or not, is Christ. And at the end of the age, when Christ returns and judges the living and the dead and consummates the new heavens and the new earth, everyone will see this. So Christ is at the centre of what it means to be human. He's supreme over all creation. He's the means of creation's existence and he's the goal of all of creation. And fifthly, he keeps all of creation together. As Paul says there in verse 17, in him all things hold together. Without Christ, creation is a pavlova without eggs. It would simply crumble. All things stay together in him. He sustains Everything. What holds the universe together then, it's not an idea or a virtue or a force, but a person, the resurrected Christ. Without him, gravity would cease to work. The planets wouldn't stay in their orbits. The particles in every atom's nucleus would fly apart. All matter would dissolve. And so nothing would matter. Excuse the pun. And Paul's keen for those who know Christ not to look elsewhere to make sense of life, the universe and everything. As the New Testament scholar Douglas Moo writes in on this passage, things make sense only when Christ is kept at the centre. 
So Christ is at the centre of what it means to be human. He's supreme over all creation. He's the means of creation's existence. He's the goal of all creation. And he keeps everything together. And sixthly, he's the head of the new creation. As Paul says there in verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. As the head, he's the ruler and source of the church, described as his body. As the head, he's the governing and animating organ of the church. He's the true and only source of life for the church. Uh, the church here is all those who are those who, are, who trust in Christ and rely on him. And any who do this, we're told, are a new creation. As Paul says elsewhere, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. A new creation after the likeness of Christ himself, as Paul says in another place. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. Christ rose from the dead, never to die again, and in so doing, he was the first of many who trust in him and fall asleep. They will rise to eternal life with Christ, as Paul goes on. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in turn. Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. When Christ rose from the dead as the first fruits, he was the start of something new. The new creation of humanity and God dwelling together for eternity. The new creation then broke in to this old creation when he rose from the dead and has continued to grow in the hearts of those who trust in him. And one day when Christ comes again and he raises all those in him from the dead to eternal life, the new creation will swallow up this old one. And there, as he is in this creation, he will be in the new creation, the beginning and the firstborn, just like he's the firstborn over all this creation in the sense of being supreme over all of it. So in the new creation, he's the firstborn and supreme. He's the head, means and goal of the new age, every bit as much as he is of this age. He is at the centre of our hope, or he should be. As the writer and preacher John Piper says, people who would be happy in heaven if Christ were not there will not be there. The gospel is not a way to get people to heaven, it is a way to get people to God. So Christ is at the centre of what it means to be human. He's supreme over all creation. He's the means of creation's existence. He's the goal of all creation. He's, he keeps everything together. And he's the head of the new creation. And finally, Christ is all this. He's supremely at the centre of absolutely everything. Because he's both God and the once crucified man, Jesus, as Paul says there in verse 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. That in God, that is, in God in all his fullness, has chosen to dwell in Christ. Christ is fully God. All that can be known and experienced of God, it's to be found in Christ. But only as the once crucified man, Jesus, verse 20, and through him, 
to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Later on in Colossians, Paul will speak of the cross of Christ as a victory, a victory over the authorities and powers and principalities of this age, things that stand against God, making a people of his own because of their sin. Christ's sacrifice not only makes it possible for people to be forgiven and to join Christ in the new creation, but it also brings all those rebelling against God and his ways back in their place, back under his rule. Peace and order are restored with the promise that one day everything will be restored, seen to be restored. The new creation has begun in Christ and it will come to completion upon his return. Everything then is properly reconciled to God through Christ. But importantly through his blood shed on the cross. It's through the blood of the man Jesus Christ that God gets what he wants in this age and in the next. And in this way we see Christ is supremely at the centre of everything as both God and the man Jesus. Not only is Christ at the centre of what it means to be human, he's supreme over all creation. He's the means of creation's existence. He's the goal of creation. He keeps everything together and he's the head of the new creation as is both God and man, the man Jesus, who died that we might know peace, peace in this age and greater peace in the next in his blood shed on that cross. We see that Christ is supremely at the centre of absolutely everything. He's what life, the universe, and everything is about. So Christ is the answer to the ultimate question of life, the universe, and everything. As God, he's the source, the sustainer, and satisfaction of all creation, old and new, now and then. But here's the thing, as Jesus, Christ is both the question and the journey to the answer and the answer itself to life, the universe and everything. He's the syntax and the grammar that allows the question to be asked. He's the word of God in the flesh. He's the passion in the prose, the charm in the poetry. He's the wisdom of God in the flesh. He's the invitation. God turned toward us, the door opening, the the, the tantalising question there to be asked. As Paul will later say to the Colossian Christians, My purpose in writing is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. A mystery novel is a question, right? A whodunit, a a what's going on, an invitation to find out. In the same way, the mystery of God is an invitation to look into Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The riches of the meaning of life, the universe and everything are found in Christ. Which is why this term we're going to look at how Christ is at the centre of our everything, of every aspect of our lives. Can I please encourage you if you're not in a growth group, to join one 
as we walk through this series together, particularly over the next few weeks as we can't meet together in person, it would be great to be connecting at least online in smaller groups to go through how Christ is at the centre of everything in our lives. If you can't get to a group, download the studies from our website and go through them yourself or maybe go through them with someone in your household. Our growth group uh, met this Monday and after going through this passage in Colossians together and seeing just how big Christ is, how he's at the centre of what it means to be human supreme over all creation, the means of creation's existence, the goal of its existence, uh, and he keeps everything together and that he's the head of the new creation, that he's fully God and fully man, and he, he's supremely at the centre of absolutely everything. Someone said at the, at the end of our study, I'm not sure how I should feel. And as we teased it out, along with him, we landed on, I think we feel awe. I think it's awe. He was in awe of Jesus. We were in awe of Jesus. I certainly felt it too. And I felt a great urge to worship and adore him. Which is, of course, what he wants and what he deserves. And in so doing, actually our souls delight. 